0: This is PodQuest with your host, David Marlowe. Well, welcome to PodQuest. I am excited today to have a friend of mine who I've known for many, many years, but I've never had an actual one-on-one conversation with. And we are going to have a fascinating conversation today with Diane Wiska. And I always say that everybody is interesting. If you're if you're willing to spend the time and, and invest them, but Diane is like fascinating, right on the surface. <clears throat> you won't, we won't have to like really work hard to find her incident interesting. So I want to just welcome you, Diane.
1: Thank you so much, David. It's a delight to be here, and that introduction is worth the twenty bucks I gave you.
0: <clears throat> <laughs> That's right. To do, I do want to give some people a little bit of a little bit of background uh, You you you've been a navy nurse mm-hmm. and a lawyer mm-hmm. which on their own are like two different uh careers um you've done a few somewhat interesting things right like climb mountains and walk the camino, camino de, santiago. de santiago a mm-hmm. 500 yeah. mile 500 mile pilgrimage yeah. and you facilitated getting two frogs pieces of art from heartland wisconsin all the way out to whidbey island which i thought was a story in itself. <laughs> yes yes yeah those.
1: we have to go into that mm-hmm. we, we definitely have to go mm-hmm. into that
0: yeah now is it two or is it are there more than two now
1: well actually one is, is a great big Three. bed actually one one sculpture one metal sculpture is a is a great big bed with curved head, headboard and footboard and two frogs that are cobbled together from you know metal bits and pieces are sitting side by side and they're holding bent metal as if they're reading a book it's the most charming piece i've ever seen before and it's huge i mean it's you could you can actually sit in the bed and the fellow who um, made it has this wonderful art gallery outdoor art gallery that i found because you and your wife were out and about on a sunday drive and you stumbled on it and when i looked at his website i went i gotta have that and then the other one is a child's bike a two-wheeler you know the things that you would have graduated to it's a two-wheeler and it's being driven if you will by a chicken and (laughs) And behind riding on the back is another frog and its tongue is sticking out. And so they're just on this wild ride together. And, and you're right, getting it from there to here was incredible. I went through all sorts of, do I drive out there with a van and drive it all the way back again? Because these things are heavy and they're metal and the idea of shipping them, forget it. You no, know, that doesn't work. So fortunately, he was able to cobble together two wooden crates for them and then i knew someone here on the island who was able to get me a deep discount on shipping and that's how we got it from from there to here it arrived one of them arrived a little bit you know worse for the wear but that's what blow blowtorches are for it you just put it back together again so they're sitting in my front, front yard which has become a, a total garden and every time i walk out there it's just it's it's whimsy and metal, absolutely the most wonderful thing, and I have you to thank for that.
0: Oh well, I'm, I'm excited that it all worked out. I did that's what blow torches are for. That's got you got to get that on a shirt or something. <laughs> so, you sound like a marine. Now you're in the navy, but you <clears> but that sounds more like like something a marine would have said, which is what I was, of course. But
1: I'm, I'm curious about yeah. that choice because yes, we we both have military service in our in our background. And I know why I went into the Navy, but I have no clue why you went into the Marines. And from what I know of you, you are the, you're the reverse of what I imagine. And, and we need the Marines. I mean, they went in, they cleared the ground and everything for the Navy to go in. But why the Marines when you could have had a great looking uniform like a Navy sailor?
0: Yeah. And and my father was a, was a sailor actually in World War II and, submarines like the real deal but yeah and and what i what i'm looking forward to in our conversation is just what we're doing right here is what we're going to explore and i think for people listening to understand the path of ikigai and the path of getting to know ourselves at that deepest level and expressing that in what we're doing is is not a linear path Mm -mm. (laughs) and it's and it's not a, a well-scripted path in the sense of you do these 10 things and then voila. So so I love this that we're, that we're already starting with us and I think that's what people will be able to take away from our conversation. But yeah, the, the Marine Corps was interesting. <clears throat> I tell people, I was in radio, radio and TV, mostly radio. Uh, I have a face for radio, I think is what, the, what I used to say. And to tell you how crazy that business is, I joined the Marines for a saner life. <laughs> if that gives you any idea of what the radio business is.
1: <clears throat> I've
0: been out running. We've had finally had some snow and I've been out in the snow oh. and I've got a little little cold air coughing here, but it's well worth it. Mm-hmm, uh, well worth mm-hmm. it. Um, I went to, uh, the economy was just in a tank and I had been let go from a radio station for like the third or fourth time because they went out of business or, you know, they got changed ownership. I mean, just a crazy business. And I had met my, my wife and I wanted to have her as my wife. And so I thought I'd create a, a more stable life. And I looked at the military and I was initially going to join the air force Mm -hmm. and I went through the whole process. You got to go to Indianapolis where, so it's like a day trip And like three o'clock in the morning, and get a physical and all these things. And I, I literally spent the entire day there Mm -hmm. and I get to the career counselor at the end and I wanted to work, air traffic control was what I was looking for. And there was no openings for air traffic control, like for a year or two years. So, okay. So I just went down this list and I'll, I'll shorten the story, but it was like 25 different things we went through and none of them were available. And the Air Force, I said, well, what is it? What is available? And he's like, well, you could be a cook. I said, "No thing. <laughs> yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with being a cook, but that wasn't, it wasn't my thing. So, so I left, I left. I mean, there was nothing. I, I, I didn't have anything and I didn't have a way back because I'd stayed so long. The bus back home had already left. So I called my brother on a payphone and asked him to come pick me up. And I waited at the hotel where other uh, recruits I guess they all were waiting and there was a marine there and we struck up a conversation and my brothers both my brothers-in-law were marines one was in the marine corps at the time and it's a small branch of service I wanted to know if maybe they knew him and he didn't but we actually had some mutual friends from my my hometown and we talked and he said well I suppose you're here to join the marines I'm like no and I gave him the story and anyway the long and the short of it was he invited him or he, he uh invited me to to talk with him if i was interested and he came to our house and gave me a, a very interesting contract opportunity and what i didn't know at the time was i got to be electronic countermeasures which is really high tech and and great training and what led me to my ultimate career but my contract was either that or all the way down to a radio operator in a in an infantry unit which i did not understand was a possibility <laughs> and so so i was quite lucky in that uh I got some great training, got sent to Hawaii, became an engineer with a degree in history. Um, so that's kind of my Marine, marine story. And yes, I, I frequently get the, uh, you don't seem like a Marine, you seem too nice. But I was a sergeant. I mean, I was, you know, I was a hard charger for the time, but I don't need to be a hard charger oh. talking to, nope. to Diane. <laughs>
1: so many are called, but few are chosen. And thank goodness you were.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. well, it was, it was my privilege and I mean, really, I, I couldn't have had a, a luckier time or, or had a better time doing it. And, and how about you though? So the Navy and not the Navy, but the medical world. And I think I shared with you, that I, I am very fond of Navy nurses. They took care of my oldest son who had a lot of, a lot of issues when he was first mm. born. And it was those Navy nurses that were, were there for my wife and for him and for me. So well, I'm, I I was your, a pediatrics? What's Your origin story <laughs> that that is I that know is you a are, bit yeah. of
1: it. yes. Pediatrics is the only place that um I served. It was both uh, surgical, which is where I started out, and medical. I was at Portsmouth Naval in Portsmouth, Virginia, and gosh, back then you know a night in the hospital cost about three dollars and fifty cents. We weren't shoveling coal <laughs> at that time. It was a little bit later than that, but it. I imagine three dollars and fifty cents at that time, you know, meant a lot to to servicemen and women. And you end up, you really do end up holding hands with parents, and for the most part, it was wives, mothers, because the men were deployed. It's a little bit different now. There weren't so many. There were women there, but just not so many. And I decided to join because when I graduated from college with my degree in nursing, many of my many of my colleagues, the graduates were going on to hospitals in Boston or other places in New England. And I wanted to do something different, which is kind of the hallmark of my life. I want to do something different. And all my life I had been charmed by, you know, the movie South Pacific and and, in Hawaii and the music and and then my dad had been a radioman in World War II. There were six boys, six boys all signed up and went to serve. My dad was underage, but when they asked him if he was over 18, he said yes. He had written the number 18 on a piece of paper stuck it in his shoe, and technically he was not lying. And all this... <laughs> And all the boys came back. One of them had actually been in Pearl Harbor when it was bombed, but all the boys came back. And I think with that in my background, knowing that my dad had served, his my uncles had served, and that it was something a little bit different to do, that was the calling. And I like uniforms. So <laughs>
0: there you go. Mm-hmm. Like uniforms, yeah. Well, excellent, yeah, yeah. My father actually similarly. We he, he didn't lie about his age, but he had to get my grandfather, who who was a Quaker, by the way, a pacifist, who had to sign to go in when he was seventeen, because my dad was concerned the war would get over before he got a chance to be in it.
1: So and many thought it that sums way, up yes. my father
0: quite a bit, right there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he was very eager to get out when he was. Yeah. So, so what, what I think I want to explore some more with you. So, so I, I point out to people that you wouldn't think being a disc jockey and being a sergeant marine was had any, any connection. Yet when you look at those things and my engineering background and there's threads, there's a thread through all of those of what I enjoyed, what I was really good at, what I felt most alive doing. And so it, it wasn't those careers so much as much as me and expressing myself in them Mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit about your journey like that you've had as i said there's the navy nurse Mm -hmm. there's the corporate businesswoman there's a speaker there's lawyer there's a litigation consultant i mean there's there's a a long list Mm -hmm. and there's that person who decided why don't i go hike for 500 miles across spain so tell me (laughs) tell me about your thread
1: where to start where to start the the thread throughout is having a voice is having a voice and being able to use that voice to help others especially women I wouldn't have thought about it then but looking back it's very clear and that explains you know some of the podcasting work too and some of the work that I do with women which is Let's find your story. Let's share that story. Because it all has to do with having a voice, discovering your voice and using your voice because there's so much power, the power of the spoken word. So I say that I write for radio and I believe that. I believe that there is music in the spoken word and the spoken word comes to me most naturally in the world of story in the wo- and in the world of storytelling. So I believe that I followed the career path, kind of like, you know, a fraud on lily pads, you know, jumping across a pond. When something caught my eye or I felt that I was done with what I had been doing. So as a Navy nurse, I I completed my three years. I went to graduate school, earned a master's in, in, pediatric nursing with a nurse practitioner certificate and went on to do a little bit more nursing and once i felt that road had been traveled i branched out into business into risk management with hospitals so you know from from hospital to hospital healthcare to healthcare and in that world i became aware of medical malpractice and so it just made sense that if somebody was going to listen to me they'd listen to me better if i was a lawyer and not a nurse. So that prompted the the road to law school. I was just looking at a, a photograph this morning. I argued moot court. So I practiced moot court instead of law review when I was in law school. And I argued the last set of arguments, if you will. There were two of us that finally won the right to do that, kind of like football games and everybody gets seated until you finally get to the Super Bowl. And that's what this was like. Okay. We argued in front of a panel of six sitting state Supreme Court chief justices. So the chief justice of Idaho and the chief justice of, yeah, this was no, this was no schlocky little operation. And I won that. Yeah. I won that. And I think part of it was the power of the voice, but I also knew the fact. And, and going from that into, into the practice of the law and from that to litigation consulting, it was all about the story. What is the story that's being told and how will that help someone who has been hurt, injured because of the negligence of others? So to get to the litigation consulting World, I had a practice lightning rod communications for about a dozen years. And my clients were plaintiffs around the country. And my job was to go in and help them discover the right story to tell to the judge, to the jury, to help win the case for their plaintiff clients. And at the same time, I was also. Um, facilitating focus groups so that we could find out where the thin ice of the trial was before we got into the courtroom. And that was really fascinating work it, because, you know, again, you're working with the power... What do you mean
0: by the thin ice?
1: Oh, wh- where the case could sink. Could what do you mean by
0: the thin ice?
1: Where the case could sink.
0: Oh, okay. So if where? you're
1: going out on, as you know, you know, you still get frozen lakes there. If you go out on the thin ice, yes, the chances <laughs> are that you could break through and, and there you go. So you're looking for The places where the story is not resonating with a potential jury, not because you want to make it fake, but because you want to find the best way you can to present the facts on behalf of the client so that they've got a fighting chance against the insurance company, against skeptical juries. So that's what, that was a big part of, of the last chunk of my life and then coming up to Whidby island washington i say it was washed up here but we've got great pie yeah. a friend said you know if you're looking for something to do until you get your your legs underneath you on the island what about podcasting and so i took the the akimbo workshop in 2019 in 2019
0: and that's Seth Godin, right? It was Seth
1: Godin's Akimbo Connected workshop. It was called Godin. TPF4 uh-huh. back then. So the podcasting forum, I think. And it's now gone on to many iterations. And and that was it. I guess that was that was the next that that is, that has become the next step along with helping women. And so the thread all the way through is how can I be of use? How can I be of service? And how can I use words to do that?
0: Mm-hmm. I often ask my my clients, what are what are your circumstances summoning you to do? And it sounds like you were asking yourself that along the way. Is that is that fair?
1: Oh, it's more than fair. I mean the, the prayer Prayer for decades and show me the way to purpose prosperity and partner show me the way what am I called here to do if you've planted me here you had a reason for planting me here so what is that what is that who am I meant to be how am I meant to serve and and yeah and I I think it's a I I think it's a daily quest which reminds me of a question I want to ask you about pod quest is it's continuing to seek that out, that reason, at the ikigai, the reason for living, the reason for getting out of bed in the morning, the reason for showing up, whether we feel that we've been directed here by, you know, stardust or God or the universe, it doesn't matter. What matters is who we believe has helped us come to this place and who we turn to. Asking, am I on the right track? Is this what my life is saying to me? Much like that book, the Parker Palmer book, "Let Your Life Speak." And the older I get, the more I'm inclined yeah. to listen. Hmm.
0: Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah. So, if, if you, the
0: older you get, the more inclined you are to listen.
1: Well, that only makes sense, doesn't it? You know, when we're younger, oh, yeah. we're on this, we're on this track and we think we know where we're supposed to go and we think we know how we're supposed to get there and we think we know it all. And then at some point in time, you know, whether it's a burning bush that appears in the middle of the living room and a voice comes out of it and says, wrong track. You know, there's a point in time where you realize that you don't know it all. You don't have it all in hand and that you have been flying by the grace of some other wind under your wings, some divine wind has been keeping you aloft. And so for me, it, it, it became not that I was unaware of that, but I became more fully present to the awareness. And with the podcast, it feels like my opportunity to kind of, build my life in public. So a lot of what you might hear will be questions and ponderings and musings and ahas and stories that I am presenting to myself in the hopes that and I learned this from you in the hopes that someone will say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. I read that quote, C.S. Lewis, on one of your LinkedIn comments. And I've never forgotten it because that puts it all into context. That says, okay, you're not just doing this for yourself. You are doing this for yourself to learn. At the same time, you are doing this in the hope that there is at least one person out there who will say, I needed to hear this right now. How did you know? He didn't, but something else yeah, did. Yeah,
0: that's a beautiful moment, isn't it? Yeah, isn't a beautiful moment to have that realization. It's like, oh, I'm not alone. There's, there is someone else that has the same thing going. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: I love that you held on to that. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite oh, quotes.
1: Yeah. And I always put it quotes. I always put C.S. Lewis. And I do have a question if this doesn't interrupt your train of thought. So I was looking at Pod Quest yeah. And I'm curious. You've started this podcast; it's relatively new. But why PodQuest? What are you questing for? What What are you seeking?
0: So the uh, the whole idea I, I changed. Even my my newsletter I went to Eki Quest because of the idea of a quest, right? And if you think about the word question, quest is right there in the middle of it. And a friend of mine had said and invited me one time to quest well. And I well, what do you mean by that? Because I mean, to me, when I think of a quest, I think of a heroic adventure and things like that. Excuse me. And I asked him, what do you mean? He goes, well, he pointed me to an interview that Ellie Weissel, now late mm-hmm. Ellie Weissel, mm-hmm. had given. And he went into the idea of a quest and that the, the question has the word quest in it. Mm-hmm. And that we are each other's question and that we are each other's quest and that, that in, in those questions, we get to know each other, get to know you and I get to know me and that that really sparked something for me. It's like, oh my gosh, that is, that is what we are all on. We are on that kind of quest to get to know ourselves and to connect with others and get to know them and help them get to know themselves, much like what you were just sharing. So, the the idea of a quest, an icky quest, and then I thought, well, if I'm going to do a podcast, I really wanted I want to approach getting to know those other people in the sense of a quest. Mm -hmm. Of I am their quest, they are my quest, and we are going to get our answers together. And getting to know someone at that deeper level than just, hey, how's it going? What do you do for a living? And that's why, that's why I call it PodQuest. I appreciate the question. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's a wonderful story. Thank you. Thank you very much. This isn't exactly what we were talking about when you had asked me about what is key to a good story. And I responded that it was content plus context. And so you could say, well, PodQuest sounded like a good name. It has some, some questions attached to it. But when you bring it into the situation of where did the Iki quest come from? And so there's a story behind that. So we have to go back. We have to go back one. Mm-hmm. But now you're sharing yeah. not only what, what it, it is and how it came about, but how you came about with it. So you have married the content mm-hmm. of the name and the intention to the context of, of how did this how did this appear to you how are you manifesting it and what is it that you want to achieve in, in the process so now you've got the two links together and now you've mm-hmm. got the yeah. the story going on it's not just going to be paper marshmallow radio and hope that that makes a story it could <laughs> yeah right so
0: yeah so so let's go a little deeper into that because that was something that that we had talked about as we we pondered getting together mm -hmm. and and having this conversation and so there's a difference between a a valued and understandable story backstory and just a linear list of stuff we've done Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and is it that context is that Go a little go a little deeper into that. That's
1: exactly it. So we've all been, we've all read. I still love to do the, read the New York Times obituaries <clears> because they're so well crafted. <laughs> you just wake up hoping that you're not reading your own. It's about the old,
0: oh, the old joke. Right? Yes. I check the obituaries. And yes. My name's not in there. I'm
1: not there yet. So. We've all been to we've all been to funeral services, memorial services, and we've heard eulogies or we've read obituaries in the paper. And some of them read like a linear description of this is where the person was born, this is to his parents, where he went to school, he got on these boards, he did some military service, and too bad, so sad, but now he's gone. But then you hear others. And I I remember this one and and the 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 family was talking about their mother, who was so generous that in the second grade, she brought her own mother's jewelry for show and tell and then decided to distribute it to to her friends. So they were using that as a little insight into what this woman's generosity was like at a very early age. So I I start with that because I, I think all of us are familiar in some way with the obituary or the eulogy. And the ones that we remember are the ones that showed us what the deceased had affections. So we can hear about the job or the career or the position that they held. But for what did they have affection? What drew them forward in life? What gave them the courage to get out of bed? To move through the challenges, or as I say, the valley of death, you know, where you're not supposed to build a little house and a picket fence and a garden, but you're supposed to move through it. What gave them that? And once we know those things, then we begin to answer the questions about that person's life. So, it's, it's very similar to what you're doing. You're, you're asking questions because you're on a quest to learn a little bit more deeply, not just what somebody did, but how come they did it. When we started out our conversation that way, how come you're in the Marines and not in the Air Force? You know, how come I was a Navy nurse? How come I was a pediatric nurse? Well, because I'm the oldest of seven, that's what you learn how to do. You, know, you take care of little kids. To put a story together well, it has to be heartfelt. And by heartfelt, I mean there has to be some form of affection for something in it. It doesn't have to be all emotional, but it has to be heartfelt. And then it has to be artfully told. Meaning you have to know how the beginning and the end and the middle are all integrated how do they hang together how does something go from beginning to end i mean you i imagine you know this so well because you know in your radio career you would have had to tell stories is that right yeah
0: mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah and i did news and and uh, entertainment radio i guess for lack of a better word yeah definitely definitely had to learn how to do story and and even i'll say in the continuous improvement work i did it might have even been more relevant there than than even in radio because i had to bring people along and help them understand why things needed to change like i worked for northwestern mutual which is a very famous and storied company and a very successful company and the CEO understood that we didn't want to become like Kodak and some of the other great storied companies that aren't around anymore. <laughs> and, and so getting people to understand that was hard because they thought, well, we're doing great. You know, what do, what do we need you for? And we're already doing everything that we can do. In fact, I will tell you a story that helped me both connect with the team and then I used that story to connect with other teams. So. I was in operations, life insurance, as you can imagine, applications and paperwork and all of that kind. Of and I went to this team. I had sold the, sold the concept to the executive team at the company, but then they had to go like, go down to the teams and convince them. And I started with little pilots, and this one team, they, they did insurance applications. And I went to them and they said, "Look, Dave, you seem like a nice guy, but we're already doing everything as well as it can be done. And we're already working as hard as we can work. And I said, well, I believe you. I'm sure you're working as hard as you can. And I'm ignorant of this. I've, I have worked in IT before. Why don't you tell me what you do? And I pointed this one woman. I said, why don't you start? Tell me what you do in this particular part of the process. She says, well, I make three copies of the form. I fax one, I shred two. And when the fax is confirmed, I shred the original. I said, do you do what? She said to make three copies of the form, I fax one, I shred two, and when the fax is confirmed, I shred the original. I said, say that again slower. She got about halfway through the third time. <laughs> She's like, why am I making three copies? And I don't know. I'm the, I'm the dumb one here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, and we talked about it, and there had been a reason why they needed three copies, and for privacy, obviously, with life insurance, you have everybody's information, you got to shred things. And. And they had just sort of updated things on the fly. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and as a result, I didn't really know what they were doing. They are just kind of doing things on the fly. I said, well, maybe there's some other things that we might want to take a look at. And so I had them map out their process with Post-it notes on the wall. And it was amazing. They did, I, didn't, I didn't interject at all. I just asked them to tell me what they did. And as they just started talking about what they were doing, they were realizing three of them were doing the same thing. And doing it over again. And then other teams found out about this and they're like, we do that stuff. Why are you guys doing that? And so it became our, it was, and it was embarrassing to them with the the fax machine thing. But I said, no, no, it's okay because that's what, that's what we're doing. We're all just doing the best we can. And if we take a moment just to look, we'll find those things. And so that, that woman in particular actually became one of my biggest advocates. She, she went and told people about it. And I loved that she was open to telling a self-deprecating story like that. But, but meeting people where they were, I mean, I didn't tell them. I was like, look, look, you guys, I've been doing this for years. And I know every one of you is wasting half your day on stuff that you don't need to be doing. And you just don't even, real- I mean, that would have really gone over well, right? No. <laughs> it's true. But that's, I think to your point, a story that makes sense, that, that gives them the aha moment is the key. Give them the chance to go, oh, now I get it. And then they're telling the story. I mean, then I didn't have to, didn't have to tell as many people at that point. And it, and it spread and it became a, a company-wide thing um, and very successful program until they until got tired of it and booted me out.
1: <laughs> it's a wonderful story.
0: Which is a whole other story.
1: But this one is a wonderful story, too. Because it shows, it shows that we don't know everything. We, in fact, a friend of mine used to say, not only do I not have the answers, I don't even have half the questions. And he was a brilliant Army Ranger, <laughs> a helicopter pilot, and for had to say that.
0: well there you go.
1: But what you are saying is no one can teach anyone how to do anything but what we can do is teach people how to teach themselves and that's exactly what you did in that moment i don't know whether you planned it that way whether it was serendipity whether you were just lucky but that's what happened you in your in your brilliance were able to say show me and in the course of them showing you and that smack upside the head oh my goodness gracious and then and then the story becomes part of the way things are and then it becomes part of the you know the corporate lore but that's exactly it to be able to have the strength and integrity and confidence of self to ask what are you doing how are you doing it show me what you know so that you know, I can show you what needs to be done next, but you're going to figure that out. I'm just hoping to guide you to it a little bit more quickly. Yeah, I... Yeah, yeah. Good story. Good story.
0: And it's a quest, right? It's the quest. I mean, if you if you approach everything like that, I mean, everyone is an interesting person. Every Everything they're doing has the potential to be interesting. If you just invest in getting to know them those moments like you said the serendipity i didn't plan that but i have a lot of those Uh a lot of those happen for me and i think it's because i'm open to that and the connecting points and and being curious in a in a genuine way right i mean we can be curious in a in a way parker palmer you mentioned parker palmer we can we can want to gain knowledge to gain power Mm -hmm. or we can want to gain knowledge to gain insight mm-hmm. into others, mm-hmm. and that's when you do it. The latter, that's when those moments come open. When you're doing it to gain power, if I was doing it, let me ask them questions about their job so that I can then get in there and give them my wisdom and tell them how to run it. That's that's power, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's me trying to grab the power, even with the best of intention. But if I'm just open, those moments of serendipity happen. <clears throat> Excuse me, and and you you uncover some amazing things.
1: You do. You you do very much so. And oftentimes unexpected. I know when I work with my clients, we go on an, what I call an archaeological dig. Let's find that origin story and you're going to have to go down a little bit. But well, what you uncover is totally unexpected. There's There's bits of of gold and other kinds of gems you might even get to the core of the earth and that's when you begin to understand what's your who so god love simon sinek or the why what's your why which is important but you're not going to get to your why really unless you know your and so the origin story work for me is about helping women uncover discover recover their who, so that their why, as they're currently living it, makes sense, or their next why will make sense. And so bringing it back to the guy, the idea of having purpose, reason, how come we're here, is, is tied up in that. And I think we had mentioned this when we were first chatting, that so often people don't think they have a story. Well, I, you know, I was born and and I've worked mm-hmm. and and I got married or I didn't, whatever. They they don't see themselves as living a story. And part of the work that I do is to guide, like a lighthouse does, guide people to safe harbors so that they can uncover, discover, recover that origin story, and then say, "Wow." I had no idea. Well, you did. You did. You had an idea about it because all I'm doing is helping you find the words you didn't know you had, but you have them. And and I credit that understanding to a story mentor I had, Doug Lippman, decades ago, decades ago. And one of the best things that he ever said and that I've carried it in my pocket ever since is that everyone knows the story they want to tell. They just need someone to listen it out of them. And so...
0: Oh, listen it out? Yeah.
1: So as a story doula... I like that. That's what I do. You know, they know the story, but Mm -hmm. they just might not know the words. And so together, I do what you've done, what you did in, in the example that you gave us is to have them come to that aha moment. But you had to be there to guide. You had to drop some crumbs in the forest that people could follow. But the end of that was them saying, this is what I know. This is what I understand. This is how I can make a change. And as we said, I think in the very beginning, the delight, I was working with a client and I had her storyboard. She wasn't she wasn't using words as as well as she thought she should be using them. So, okay, get down on your hands and knees, get some crayons, get a really big piece of paper and start to scrape forth this. And so when we get together, she's mm. holding this ginormous piece of paper, I would say, and she's reading the story. And then, and then, and then, and then, look, hey, you know, this is a professional woman, you know, married with college age kids and in a great practice and the delight. You know, sometimes I think that the story doula work is that, It's helping birth something, a story that was always there. And this is what I believe about story. When a story is ready to be heard, it will find a way. Because with us, you and I as storytellers, the story is moving through us because it needs to be heard, because it needs to be said. And that might sound a little bit woo-woo, but that's okay. Nobody's going to hurt my feelings by mm-hmm. going, Ooh, that's a little strange, because I will tell you this. If I can take this into a group of lawyers for 12 years, litigators, and get them to understand the power of story, there ain't no woo-woo there.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Nope.
0: Yeah, there you go. Well, I like a little woo-woo, despite my my marine background. <laughs> <laughs> I we'll keep like a little so. magic stardust like going so. for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, there you go. So let me ask you then. So we've talked about Parker Palmer. Another one that I I really like is Richard Rohr, who has you know, divides life into two halves, right? And the halves not being your forty, and that it's, it's can be at a lot of different points. But the first half of life, in his description, is you're building the vessel. The second half, you're figuring out what goes into it. And I look at My own story has a lot of things that I would have, excuse me, a lot of things that I would have shared or thought were my story. I've reevaluated in that second half and how much of it is understanding that, that history and that, that part of the story and then clarifying its meaning for that second half. That makes sense
1: it does it does because if i if I understand you okay. correctly, and I love a friend of mine from college who lives in Invergrove, Minnesota, has been keeping me in touch with Richard Warren's teachings for years, and so this notion of an origin story is fluid and flexible, and it really mm-hmm has to do with what is it that you want to say at this particular time and how is the purpose of your story also influenced by the audience who will hear your story even if it's just you and then from From where does the meaning derive? So the meaning will come from whatever you've put into that vessel that you're sorting through to create that story. So when I say your origin story, what I mean is the story that you want to tell about how you got from there to here. There are many opportunities along the way. That you've had to get from there to here. Lots of pivots, lots of chances when the when the world tossed you something you weren't expecting, and you had to respond to that. So, what's it going to be? And that really depends on what's the purpose for this particular story. The, the, the closer we get to our silver senior years, I think the more likely we are to attend to what we've learned from experiences episodes mistakes and say is this the is this what it means is this what it means and i i i'm reluctant to attach the word meaning because I follow in the footsteps in the tradition of the venerable Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. And the teaching there is, this means everything and nothing. There is no meaning. The only meaning that's there is the meaning that we create. The other time I came face to face with with that was, oh, what were those courses they were offering way back that was based on Est? I forget what it was called. The yeah. forum, the forum and the oh, okay. teaching that, that. Okay. was that life is empty and meaningless. And of course, you say this in a group of people and everybody jumps up and down, and goes, what are you nuts? And and the baby was born and there's Christmas and blah, 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 blah. the point that they were trying to get at and they eventually did was that life is empty and meaningless until we attach some meaning to it. And we've just gone through Christmas and for some of us, Christmas is meaningful. And for others, it's just another workday. So the meaning of something is what we attach to it, and that meaning will change over time. There's so many opera. I was thinking about this this morning. So it's not a surprise my used to be husband, big affair, left. I was down in the dirt, had nothing and nobody, and figured that i would live the remainder of my days in the valley of death i was building a house i was putting up a picket fence i was planting a garden i was set i didn't need to go anywhere
0: putting down roots in the valley of Death. i was
1: putting down roots in the valley of (laughs) death (laughs) if anything's going to grow here i will (laughs) and a woman who had heard about me and my storytelling keynoting work called me up and said i want to, you know, I want to take you to lunch. I want to talk about you being a keynoter. No, no. No, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared about this. I'm not that. No, let's just free lunch. Now, let's girls have lunch. And so we had lunch and she pitched this idea. I want you to be a keynoter for this big group of women. This is why. And I said, Mm -hmm. no, no, can't. No can do that. And she said, here's the deal. I see that you're in the Valley of And I see that you're getting really comfortable. But the scripture says you are supposed to walk through the valley of death. And so, starting now, you are, I'm on the other side. I'll be waiting for you. And and that did it. That did it. So that goes all the way back to your pod quest. Who are people underneath the The first layer that we see. I owe her everything. I owe her everything. And what I didn't know at the time was that she had to drive from Redmond, California, all the way out to San, San, San Clemente. It was a couple hours drive. She'd had back surgery. She was in a great deal of pain. And she did it. And as a result, I, I picked up everything. You know, I blew up the house and uprooted the garden and said, okay, fine, whatever. She's waiting for me on their side. Uh, I did it. I did it. And so I think that our work is, is partly informed by that. How can each one lift one? And when I say that, I, I don't mean that we're, you know, we're not meant to lift up the whole world. We're not meant to lift up a, just a big old ton of people. But if each one lifts one, and Eventually, there will be no one left to live, and wouldn't that be nice
0: There. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, like, think about the impact she had by touching you and how many people you have touched. I know you've touched my life, and Likewise. I'm sure many, many others.
1: Yeah, just from one woman and calling the shots. all from
0: her face. Yeah, be faithful. Faithful to what her beliefs were and to her friend. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful. Oh.
1: oh, yep. And that was well. A I long think time ago. we're.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but I can tell you, yeah, you still feel it. I can. I can still. I can. I can tell. Oh, there's. Yeah. A, there's a lot of. Oh yeah. A lot of energy there.
1: Yeah. What are you gonna do when somebody calls it like that? Yeah. Okay. Fine. And she could have. She could have walked away and said, "Okay, fine. Well, you yeah, know, it was a good idea, but." No, she just called it like it was. The scripture says you walk through. Mm-hmm. And so starting now, you're walking through. And when she sat on me waiting for you on the other side, it, it was something about that, that I wasn't on my own, that there was a a person and a place, a goal to head toward. And I, I think we need that. I That's why I use, that's why my logo is a lighthouse. That in the quarter moon because the quarter moon's better than none. You know when you're walking a, a dark road, but the idea that there is a light guiding us to a safe harbor, that someone is waiting for us, that that someone is there, we're never alone. And that's what she represented to me. You know I'm waiting for you on the other side. You got to walk through, but I'm there. It was like being visited by angels, you know? (laughs) It really was. Well,
0: I, I think we do, we fill that role once in a while for others, don't we? We do. Well, I think that's a great point to connect then to how, how can, how can people reach you? How can they take advantage of this great wisdom that you've developed over time and in telling their story? You said, you mentioned quarter moon, which I love, by the way, my, my, my favorite album title is Quarter Moon in a Tencent Town by Lou Harris. And I just think that is like the, the perfect visual. <laughs> and I love your quarter moon because I think of that every time. Oh, but, uh,
1: I'll have to uh, look that tell
0: up. Tell me more about how people should... Oh, that's a great. Quarter Moon in a Tencent Town. I remember that it's, it's one. It's, a fat, it's, and it's just a one line in a song, too, that she sings. But anyway, how can people take advantage of these wonderful gifts that you bring to the to Thank the
1: world. you. Quartermoonstoryart.net is my website. And on there, you can find a plethora of things to browse through resources. There are some audios to listen to. Uh, I offer a, a monthly news audio letter. And the reason I do that is because I feel we have so much to read. Wouldn't it be nice to just sit and listen to something about story for five, seven minutes. So there's tips and techniques to enhance story work. That's there. You can always reach out to me on LinkedIn. And of course, there's the podcast. The podcast is called Stories from Women Who Walk. And I chose that in the very early days because Seth Godin said, what's it for? Who's it for? Why does it matter? I know stories. I know women. and I know walking up. Ah. That And that was the first year i I worked with guests, but the three years after that I just turned one thousand episodes on January one have been my daily sixty second episodes, and each of those is is tagged to a theme for a day, motivate your Monday, time out tuesday story prompt friday and i I did deliberately chose that path because no one really is doing it and i wanted someone who's listening to have a little something to put in their in their pocket for the day and the other thing that's different about it is that i give a shout out at the beginning of each one to a listener well listener location so i can see where the listener locations are so when you hear me say Mm -hmm. hello to you listening in lincroft new jersey there's a listener there, and then I'll put a little hot link so if nobody knows what Lincroft, New Jersey is, they can just it's like armchair traveling. I mean, I've got people all over the globe that are listening, yeah. and so it's a it's a great for me. So those are the big, those are the highlights. And if someone wanted to have a conversation about what I do, what I offer, how I offer it, there's easy ways to just click in the in the website or on LinkedIn. And we also offer a free story startup session so that we can have an opportunity to begin working on on the story. And the last thing I'll say is it doesn't have to be a story as a memoir. Sometimes these stories are good for pitching an idea or a job interview or a keynote. Any opportunity to connect with and engage and influence people is a good opportunity to tell your story. Thank you for asking.
0: Well, wonderful. Well, I'm thrilled that you shared a portion of your story here with us today. This has been a fabulous conversation for me and and I know for for my listeners. And I want to thank you and uh, wish you well. Take care.
1: Thank you very much, David.